0: You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Multimedia Strategy at Stylus. Today we're going to be talking about adapting to the pace of change as a brand when technology, media and culture move so fast, how do you actually grab the opportunities out there and make tangible use of them. To discuss this, I'm joined by Zoe Skamen, founder of strategy studio Bodacious, whose clients include Luca Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban Experiments. So thank you for joining me, Zoe. First of all, it would be great to hear about the work that you're doing with Bodacious and, and, you know, your journey to to where you are right now.
0: Sure. So... At the moment with Bodacious, it's kind of split down the middle. So half of my work right now is with the NBA. So Dallas Mavericks, MCX, etc., And the other half is a number of different clients. So it tends to be clients who are working within the creator economy at the moment. So platforms, for example, and new software solutions. So kind of advising quite a few companies in that space. And then also gaming companies. So working with a couple of the big studios on looking at the future development of their franchises, especially in regard to to, you know, all of the kind of myriad trends that are out there at the moment, you know, from crypto to to NFTs, to niche communities, to social currencies, all of that kind of stuff as well, and how that might actually impact what they decide to develop and the gamer experience moving forward as well.
1: Fantastic. So yeah, these myriad opportunities are the things that I want to talk about, because I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to chat to you is I, I follow you on Twitter, and you're always linking out to and discussing some of the most future facing ideas, but you are but you take them and you analyze how they can be tangibly adopted by brands. So I mean, there's lots of stuff that you talk about, and lots of stuff I would like to talk about. But I guess one of the best places to start perhaps is with NFTs. Which um, I've discussed on the podcast before and uh, written about on Stylus, and they've been on a, a roller coaster of hype. And I feel like, sort of sadly in a way, we're in this big backlash stage at the moment, at least in terms of the mainstream sort of media coverage of it. But I, I sense from from how you write about it on Twitter that you're very bullish on this technology, and I'd, I'd love to hear about why and what you're what you're doing with with NFTs.
0: Yeah, so I think we are absolutely in a bit of a bubble. We were in a bubble for NFTs, but I think that that is normal. I think when any kind of new gigantic shift in technology comes along, we always have a bubble you know, of some sorts. People get very excited. People are experimenting rapidly with different use cases. There's always going to be speculators who are going to jump on the hype train and see how much money they can make in a very short space of time. And while that hype bubble can be popped to a certain extent, and some people might get hurt financially as a result of that, you also have such an incredible amount of experimentation happening during a condensed time period which people often forget about in hype about bubbles, they always see them as being hugely bad things, but actually they're not. They're also a time period where so much stuff gets thrown at the wall that actually, you know, new use cases pop up that you would never have actually thought of before. And I think that's kind of where we are right now. And I think when it also comes to NFTs, people have seen the first kind of nascent use case. Which is, you know, basically selling digital artworks, and I think people have also seen the really stupid stuff, like you know, selling the Nyan Cat GIF, you know, for six hundred thousand dollars, and those kind of things, and the sixty-nine million dollars sale of People's, you know, first thousand days, and all of those kind of things as well. And I think for them, it seems insane for a number of different reasons. First of all, it's a hell of a lot of money changing hands at the moment. We don't think that digital content is scarce. We think that we can just, you know, jump onto Giphy or jump onto Google Images and there it is, and we can see it on our laptop as well. But I think the people who are looking at it with that lens are missing a much bigger picture and a much bigger point. And there's a huge amount of misinformation and confusion out there at the moment around NFTs and what they are. And lots of people are sort of saying, well, you know, an NFT is a digital artwork and it's not. An NFT is a process. An NFT is actually, you know, basically a a tag for want of a better term. And actually many things can be NFTs. And actually what an NFT is, is a certificate of ownership. You know, it's basically putting scarcity into the digital content space where previously we didn't have it. And again, initially, a lot of people are going to shake their heads at that and go, why the fuck would you do that? You know, that doesn't make any sense. But again, they're missing a trick. But when you start thinking about gaming worlds, for example, and the amount of money, that especially younger people are spending on digital items. So, you know, skins for their avatars, weapons, you know, different ways to kind of upskill themselves in different capacities. And also, you know, the imagery and the videos that they share on TikTok or Instagram and all the effort they put into building those personas, that is all digital content, which to them has a huge amount of value. So then if you just extrapolate that out into where NFTs can go, suddenly it becomes a scarce digital ownership certificate for digital items which we are going to need when we start to take down the walls of these walled gardens, you know, different gaming worlds, for example. And we have more of the the metaverse idea coming to life, which essentially is interconnected gaming worlds. So if I buy a skin from Gucci, for example, for my Fortnite avatar, I want to be able to then port that skin over to PUBG, you know, when I play that as well. And that's where we're headed. And we're not necessarily there yet. That's part of the big battle going on between Epic and Apple in terms of walled gardens and how that works, etc. But an NFT will become your certificate of ownership. And it's going to become something that more and more people want as we spend more and more of our time and energy and money within the digital world. So I think the naysayers at the moment are looking at it from a lens of this is really weird. I can just go on Giphy, as I mentioned. But in doing so, they are they've got huge blinkers on. You know, they're only looking at the narrowest, most nascent use case there is at the moment. But it is so much bigger than that. And I think, you know, doing some work on understanding the relevance of smart contracts is definitely a starting point that everybody should get into.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when when you talk about sort of this is this is stuff that everybody should be looking at, I mean, I, it would be interesting just to hear your perspective on from a pure brand perspective. Obviously, we've seen some brands jumping on NFTs, you know, straight away, you know, doing some, some of them doing quite interesting stuff, some of it quite gimmicky, as is always the way with this sort of thing. But I think it would be interesting to hear, you know, what you think brands might do with NFTs in the future. You know, let's let's think about two, three, four years down the line. What what's what kind of use cases are we do you think we'll be seeing then?
0: I think there are a number of different use cases that brands will probably get into. The most obvious one at the moment is authenticity and actually using NFTs as a form of authenticating luxury goods, for example. So LVMH looking heavily into this space at the moment as are Gucci. And, you know, they are looking at handbags. They're looking at very expensive designer goods. There's also jewelry companies looking at it at the moment as well. And obviously when it comes to the resale and the authenticity of a luxury good that, you know, the value is in can you Prove that it is you know, from the real manufacturer. So, you know, when you buy a Celine handbag, for example, it, becomes, it comes with a certificate of authentication. And then if you were to resell that for any particular reason, you would also have to then have it authenticated. Right now, we do that with paper certificates. And if we lose that certificate, it becomes very difficult to actually tell a real from a fake. And obviously, that's how we value these things. But if it had an NFT attached to it, so for example, there might be a particular pattern embedded on the inside of the handbag that could be then recognized to then go to the NFT tag. There could be a chip, you know, embedded in the bottom of a shoe or something like that, which could then authenticate it. So I think that's probably going to be one of the first iterations is authenticity. And, you know, it's something that, you know, StockX are spending a hell of a lot of time and manpower on at the moment, which is the kind of streetwear stock market. And when you want to sell a pair of, you know, Air Jordans, for example, you've got to send them off to the stock our uh, X factory and, you know, a merchandising uh, warehouse and they have to do the authentication there. And there's a price for that, which you have to pay for, which then obviously then comes out of the end price should you then sell your sneakers. But if, with an NFT, that whole process would be moot. You wouldn't necessarily need it. And you do, wouldn't have to go through that third party authentication. You could just make sure that you've got that attachment on the blockchain. So I think that's probably the first one and the most obvious one. The second one is obviously digital goods. So Genies, for example, or Genie have just done a big partnership with Dapper Labs. So Dapper Labs is the blockchain Blockchain the company behind NBA Top Shot, and they've got a blockchain called Flow. And at the moment, obviously, you can buy you know NBA moments, which have got value from a you know fan and collective perspective. And Genie, and that partnership is going to be different. So Genie is a basically an avatar company. They make kind of cartoonish style avatars for celebrities at the moment, so Justin Bieber, Rihanna, etc., Shawn Mendes. And what they're going to be doing with Dapper Labs is they're going to be allowing celebrities to basically allow you to buy digital celebrity branded goods on the blockchain in a similar way to you would buy NBA Top Shots. So, you know, if Justin Bieber comes out with a Christmas album and he sells, you know, 15 Christmas hat NFTs, which also give you potential to unlock access at his gigs or front row tickets or, you know, special, a Zoom thing that you can do that's personal or you can WhatsApp him or something, but it's got some sort of access or fandom mechanic built in, they can sell that, you know, via the Dapper Labs project. And that's going to be something that's going to be a big, you know, boon as well, which is super exciting. Then you've also got, you know, the ability for fans to kind of earn equity in a way. So, you know, if, for example, you've got a makeup brand, let's call it Glossier and Glossier decide that they want to allow their Glossier closer community input on the future of their products and services and packaging, etc. They want to give them equity of some kind. So they create a new lip gloss. And each person that feeds into the development of that new lip gloss in terms of, you know, what should it smell like? What should the viscosity be? What should the packaging be? What colors should there be right at the very beginning? Or even that kind of helps, you know, build the brand or become a a real advocate in some way. Maybe they're given an NFT, which is unique to that particular project, which then gives them a certain equity in what happens in the future of the sales of that lip gloss, for example, on the open market. So it gives them a stake that they can then keep hold of if they want to, or maybe they could sell it on to someone else, you know, and trade in that capacity. So that's a really interesting use case as well. And then you've got the really creative ones, which I think to be honest, we're we're yet to see. But Nike filed a patent in 2019 called Crypto Kicks which I think is fascinating. So essentially each new sneaker that they bring out will have an NFT accompaniment. And that NFT accompaniment could be a piece of art, for example, so it's a digital representation of the sneaker that you get, not only as a certificate of authenticity, but also an art piece in its own right. And it might have lots of graphics around it. So it's not just kind of plain and boring. It might be moving, it might have music, whatever it is. And what they did is they've also patented this idea of Crypto Kicks breeding with one another, which is based on Crypto Kitties, which is one of the first projects that Dapper Labs did. And the idea is if you have an NFT of an Air Jordan and I have an NFT of a Dunk, for example, we can actually then find a way to breed those two NFTs together. And then we can actually own a third NFT, which is a kind of breed of the two of those things together. And only you and I, who own those NFTs, can then go into a Nike store and we can get that unique shoe made purely for us, which is just so exciting in terms of, you know, the creative opportunities and all of that kind of bits and pieces as well. And I think those are some of the use cases. I think if I sat here for long enough, I'd probably bore you to death with about 20 others. But I just think it's such an exciting space. And when you start to think about all of those different ways that smart contracts can unlock new forms of creativity and commerce and community and all of those different aspects... It's just a no brainer, you know, to really start digging into it and start thinking about the possibilities.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, really, really interesting stuff. I mean, I feel, yeah, I feel like we could talk about that forever, but I, uh, there are a couple of other things I'd love to get your, your thoughts on. One of the most interesting and fast moving sort of Trends at the moment is 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 that of the creator economy. I mean, I I sort of hesitate to call it a trend because it, it is sort of underpinning everything at the moment. But I guess what I feel is it's sort of exploding this idea of being able through various platforms, through technology, through sort of community building, to be able now for uh, creators to to build individual brands and powerful niches around personal passions. Obviously, NFTs in some respects is they they are enabling this, especially for artists at the moment. But i think we're seeing it everywhere with newsletters on substack and so on only fans and patreon and all these other sort of platforms that are enabling this ability for, for individuals to create their own personal brands so i think you know i would love to talk to you a little bit about this because i write a lot about it on stylus from brand perspective and sometimes it can seem a little bit tricky for for brands to figure out how to how to engage with this creator economy because in some respects you know it's about people doing their own thing and creating their own businesses so Do you talk to your clients about the creative economy and how they can engage?
0: Yes, I do. And I think, again, there's so many different use cases here. Probably one of the ones that I would get more excited by, or actually there's a couple of brands, to be honest, that do it really well. There's Lego, there's Peloton, adidas and there is also one that's completely slipped my mind food 52 and i think what's interesting about each of those brands and what they're looking at at the moment is they are opening themselves up first and foremost to the input of creators and understanding that you know they are very good at what they do in terms of you know whatever creative output they have that's obviously relevant for the brand they've also managed to kind of build potentially products and services and especially an audience of their own so they can't be used as kind of influencer marketers Basically, you can say, you know, can you flog this shoe and make sure you say this line and make sure that you make the logo bigger? And can you then send it out to your audience and hope for the best? That's not the way to work with them at all. And instead, I think the way to work with them is to bring them in and to, you know, really reward them for their creativity. And so one example of that with Lego is they've set up a website called Lego World Builder, which is essentially an IP generation tool from creators who are writers. And, you know, they were inspired by the Wattpad model which is a fan fiction website where people were going and just kind of writing, you know, fan fiction about anything really in any genre. And they noticed that a lot of people were writing about Lego characters or they were creating kind of Lego world-based stories. And they were like, shit, you know, this IP is being created somewhere else and we don't own it. So they've created a uh, World Builder to allow people to write stories in the Lego universe or to create a kind of you know offshoot of the Lego universe. And then in a kind of similar way to Wattpad with people, you know, who if you've got a f- sort of fandom that you've built around your story and you're getting feedback loops in terms of, oh, I'd like this character to do this next, or I'd like this chapter to explore this bit next, or wouldn't it be cool if you know so and so jumps off a cliff or you know, something like that when ip on the lego world builder or stories start to gain traction that's when lego can go to that creator and go this is great we would like to essentially buy this and turn it into a new character or a tv series or a movie or an action figure and we will give you an equity stake in it so they're kind of opening up the collaboration and creative process for lego which is which is brilliant. I think in a similar vein, you know, Adidas is starting to do this as well. They're doing it on a bigger level at the moment with bigger, much, much bigger creators, but I think they might look at doing it on a smaller basis. And essentially what they're doing there is they're saying, we've got the resources, we've got the manufacturing, we've got the know-how, we know how to do distribution, You have the creativity and you have the community and we want to tap into that. So in essence, they act almost like a record label. So they give you all of the resources that you need, that you are in charge of your own creativity and your own vertical. And they've done that recently with their basketball label so they basically put a fantastic designer i've completely forgot this name which is awful but i think it's fear of god the guy that does fear of god uh, or something along those lines and they've essentially said you've got an incredible community and creativity that you've built you know you've made this amazing streetwear brand we want to tap into it and you know Adidas have not been doing basketball very well for the last decade or so. They've not really kind of tapped into that culture that's really there. And yet this guy has. So they could have just brought on a new creative director and who didn't have any kind of proper branded streetwear experience and shoved him into it and hoped for the best. But they didn't. Instead, they've kind of given over, you know, some level of, of kind of control and essentially said to this guy, we've got the resources. We trust you. You do it the way that you see fit. And I think they're going to start doing that in a number of different ways as well. You know, Peloton are now becoming famous for allowing their instructors to create their own sub brands underneath Peloton. So, again, it's kind of the record label we will give you the platform, we will give you the resources, we will give you the discoverability. You grow your own brand. And they're also doing kind of co-branded merch. So it's part Peloton and part whoever the instructor is. And you've got these kind of vertical niche communities popping up, which is great, which is exactly the same thing as what Food52 are doing as well with their presenters and the presenters are all different sizes and shapes you know they've got a very heavy uh, focus on people of color lgbtqia which is amazing and they're allowing these people to essentially springboard off of food 52 and to build their own vertical communities which obviously food 52 benefit from as well but again it's about relinquishing control and trusting that these creators know what they're doing and capitalizing on that fandom because again it's so much easier for fans to connect with an individual um, and to really care about that individual than it is for them just to connect to food 52 as a faceless platform so they benefit from bringing those creators in and just thinking about it in a very different way which is beneficial to their brand but it is not you know we control everything and you can't come in without our say so
1: I guess you know sort of the obvious place to go from there when we're talking about sort of creator economy is is nurturing community which all those examples you talk about at the heart of them all is this idea of building, nurturing, and maintaining community. And, you know, we hear, again, alongside NFTs, alongside Creator Economy, we're hearing about community more and more in terms of something that brands just absolutely need to be focused on. Every brand needs a community manager. Community platforms are now more important to engage on than sort of traditional social media and so on. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about the work you do with clients on community building and, and the strategies that you use.
0: I mean, first and foremost, the key thing is we need to reframe and redefine what we mean by community. I think for so long we have called social followings community and they're not. You know, it's still a very much uh, passive one way communication system. When you put something out on Instagram, you are essentially still using it as a broadcast channel. And you're not necessarily looking at ways to encourage peer-to-peer interaction. That's what a true community is. It's not brand to fan, it's fan to fan. And I think there's there's so many benefits to getting that right. Not least of which, you know, the difficulty with the creator economy and, and also with brands as well as we turn ourselves into these relentless content factories and it's fucking exhausting having to you know spin stuff out all the time whereas actually if you encourage and facilitate connection between your fans they end up doing a lot of the work for you to turn themselves into a kind of vibrant you know autonomous community themselves which then reduces the reliance on you know the content factory side of things But the difficulty with that at the moment is that there really aren't that many big platforms that are built for this. So Instagram is not one. You know, Facebook is not one. Twitch is not one. So all of those are still kind of broadcast channels. And you can invite community interaction, but they're not true community places. So, you know, a lot of the companies that I'm working with at the moment in the creator economy are building these platforms. So they're building white-labeled solutions, which are essentially closed, ownable communities that you can uh, put your own badge on and they facilitate all of those kind of fan to fan interactions, which is really interesting. So again, Patreon doesn't do this. OnlyFans doesn't do this. It's still very much broadcast. And the minute you start to really rethink community and you think about the dynamics of what that community could be, everything starts to shift. And there are some really interesting examples of people that have done it, you know, Yoga by Adrian, for example, she uses a company called Mighty Networks who I'm doing some work with at the moment who are amazing and I think there's probably one of the most comprehensive white-labeled solutions that I've ever come across. And always incredibly forward-thinking. You know, TED do, uh, use them as well. So basically, you know, TED conference. And, you know, there's, there's a bunch of other kind of celebrities and brands who use them. And it really does change, you know, the way you think about interacting with, you know, fans and, and sort of community members in such a way that, that the value is something that you create alongside them and that they create with each other as opposed to the way that we tend to view social followings, which is very extractive, which is, you know, what can we get out of you? How many shares can we get? How many likes can we get? How many comments can we get? How many views can we get? You're not really thinking about what value you're creating for them. You're still thinking about it as a broadcast media. So I think that is, first of all, you know, the big redefinition of what a community is, is really, really important. And then I think you know, the Web3 stuff is, is going to get really interesting very, very quickly. I think it's probably early days or too early for the vast majority of brands to get involved because they haven't even got their shit together on basic community dynamics yet. But when they do, that's when you can start thinking about things like community currencies and equity stakes and you know, NFTs. And essentially, you know what Web3 is, is it's an ownership and economic layer, which we are now building over the top of the internet. So if you start thinking about you know, Web1, was all about informational links. So, you know, Google search engines, discoverability of, you know, information and websites. Web two was all about social links. So, you know, Facebooks, et cetera, likes, comments, shares, you know, social clout, et cetera. And now Web3 is about this new economic layer. So being able to create value, share value, earn value, and, you know, making sure you've actually got kind of monetary kickback for that kind of stuff as well. And not just on a, you know, traditional sort of trader perspective or because you work for a bank or something like that, not traditional money or traditional forms of, of kind of finance, but actually really democratizing what value is and what we recognize as value. And that's why cryptocurrencies are taking off at the moment, because we're starting to open up our definition of what constitutes value, what can be traded. And that's why, you know, Dogecoin went nuts. That's why Ethereum's gone nuts as well. And people, again, who are not in that space, they don't understand it. And they think that, you know, fiat currencies like, you know, the pound or the dollar or something like that have always been there and are like the ultimate barometers of financial value. But that's not true. We are collectively imagining that and it doesn't need to be that way and i think actually when you start unraveling that in people's heads they get really scared um, about what the possibilities could be but actually i think you should get really excited and so i think that's where community will ultimately go and actually you know again if you want a very futuristic version of it have a look at DAOs, which are decentralized autonomous organizations and they're popping up all over the place in the crypto community and essentially they're collectives of individuals who come together with no head so they're headless you know they basically are run by committee run by community and they earn currency you know amongst one another so the currency could be earned by financial buy-in for example it could be earned by your contribution to the community which could not actually be financial at all it could just be how active you are or how interested you are or maybe if you do a bit of coding or developing for them and then actually, that currency can be traded, you know, in amongst the different members of the community. But it can also be pooled, which a lot of different DAOs are doing, to then buy value externally. So there's a there's a DAO called Pleaser DAO, who basically came together to buy Edward Snowden's first NFT, and they are all built around the shared value of doing what's good for the world and doing what's good for people, which is a lovely way, you know, to think about it. And what's super interesting is also the market caps of these DAOs are insane. Like if you have a look at the whale DAO, you know, it's worth so much money. It's it's bonkers. And it's only been around, you know, for a couple of years and really ramped up over the last six to 12 months. And again, I think it's just something that we need to start taking seriously. And it's not that niche, really. It's not just in the crypto bubble. It's really starting to come out of there now. And I think, you know, when we think about brand communities and, and what the future could be you know, what if a brand had a DAO where they actually allowed a certain portion of money, for example, to go into a community and then the community decides, you know, what to do in terms of product development and design. And they basically design for themselves using the brand's assets. And I'd love to see a brand brave enough, you know, to actually start to look at that. But to be totally honest, I think we're probably at least, you know, three to five years out from anyone trying that.
1: At the end of every episode, I do ask three quickfire questions. The first one is what's the best business advice you've ever been given?
0: The best business advice I've ever been given is don't listen to anybody else's opinion of what you should do with your business. I think that's probably the best one. I think, you know, when I first started Bodacious, so many people were just like, oh, you need to don't have that logo. Don't call it Bodacious. People won't take you seriously. You need to have a you know trademarked framework that you can sell in a cred stack. And It was so overwhelming listening to everybody else that I just felt almost paralyzed. And actually one person just said, you know, fuck all of them. Don't listen to it. Just do what you think is right. And that served me really well. So I think, you know, sometimes you just got to put your fingers in your ears and, and not listen.
1: Brilliant. The second question is, what's a consumer problem or challenge you don't think has been successfully solved yet?
0: I think value, a real proper value creation for for consumers, you know, for communities. I think we ask so much of them. We just expect them to give freely, you know, for social clout or because they feel a bit special. And I think, again, with this Web3 that's rising, we need to realize that, you know, fandom or being a part of a brand community or something like that, or, you know, being a very interested consumer, soon that emotional, intangible feeling is not going to be enough we are still, we're going to need to actually recognise them with tangible rewards and tangible feedback. So it's going to have to be a mix of social clout, but also, you know, actual value creation as well that they can use. And I think they're being trained on that at the moment from a creator economy perspective in terms of, you know, new monetization, social currencies, that kind of stuff. And the creator economy of fast tracking all of those things, because it's in their interest to do so. They want to make money. But actually what we're realizing now is that's going to be training a whole new cohort of consumers and younger people who are then going to start turning around to the brands and going, why don't I get this from you? So I think that is that is something we really need to think about is real value creation. I think the relationship today has been extractive and we need to reframe it.
1: Brilliant. And finally, which individuals or brands do you look to for inspiration in your work?
0: God, so many. I think at the moment, I'm following a lot of web through people and you know, thinkers in that space. So Jesse Walden, Jared Dicker, obviously Matthew Ball is incredible in the entertainment space as well as individuals. I love Sari Azut and all of her thinking on actually looking at how we could use the internet differently, which I think is just really, really fascinating. But again, totally, you know, left to field from maybe how other people might see it. And then I think brands, you know, just the ones that I've mentioned that are kind of doing really interesting things and really kind of pushing the boundaries. So the likes of the, you know, the Adidas asses, Nike with NBG, you know, their kind of TikTok. Commerce, you know, create a platform experiment that's being run by Michelle Goad over there who ends up their Gen Z innovation. Lego, I think are just brilliant. I think Peloton are being really interesting. Food 52, as I mentioned, I've got a crush on. So I think all of those brands that are really kind of pushing the boundaries and and yeah, trying to do things differently. And obviously also the NBA, which I think is a sports league is, is light years ahead of everybody else. I loved obviously, you know, everything they've done with Topshop, I think is just absolutely genius. They're going to be doing the same thing with WNBA. I loved Apple Labs, obviously as a result and I'm following what they're going to be doing, especially with Genie. And I think another one that I'm kind of super interested in following at the moment is Artifact, who are just going from strength to strength in terms of looking at, you know, the value of virtual sneakers. They're almost becoming the supreme of, you know, virtual fashion and really creating um, their own kind of community and fandom around it as well. So, yeah, I think it's pretty much, you know, it's quite a widespread. But yeah, there's there's so much inspiration out there if you know where to look.
1: Well, wow, that's brilliant. I mean, so much inspiration right here, I think. I, I certainly feel very inspired, and I hope uh, anyone listening does too. I'd like to thank my guest Zoe Skamen, and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter. We're at Stylus underscore live, and I'm at Christian Ward. And on Instagram, you can find us at Stylus. Join us next time for more future thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.